and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. I'm going to read our scripture this morning. Um, Surprise, we're going to be in Romans 12 today. Uh, We are going a little bit further down, though, so, you know, hold on to your seats. Um, Romans 12, we'll start with verse 9 and read through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. And share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, And now you get to hear from uh, one of my dearest friends, Chad Stewart is here. Oh, you have been wooed like that. <laughs> Stop lying. I just want to say this. He just lied from the pulpit, everyone, and she knows it. She's very aware of it, so please don't hold that against me. Um, hey, guys, it's good to be back. Um, this is a more special trip with me because I actually got to bring my wife with me. <laughs> and she got to come with me, so... Um, It's been a great trip. We've been in since Friday. It's been restful. We're glad to be here. I don't have to use a GPS to drive around everywhere. And not because I don't know where I'm going, Atlanta. I just want to know where the traffic is before I go someplace. And so it's nice not having to look at a GPS. But hey, let's jump in and pray, and we'll jump into the sermon today. Um, Father, I pray today... That, Father, as we gather in this room and our minds may be um, every which way, Lord, I pray, Father, that right now you would help us to be aware of your presence. I pray that you would help us to be aware of the emotions, the movement of our emotions throughout today, Father. Um, I pray, Father, that your spirit, Lord, would come and in the hard places heal. Father, in the place that we need to mourn, I pray that you would help us to mourn in the places we need to celebrate I pray that you would help us to do so. And so we invite your presence here today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Hey, so today, Lindsay invited me. I get to talk about culture uh, to you guys, and which, uh, good luck, you know? Um, But basically, I get to talk about something I love, and it's something I love because uh, maybe about six or seven years ago, I don't know, I grew up as one of those people who felt like, you know, I figure out people pretty well. Like I have this discernment needle inside my soul. I can figure people out really, really well. I'm, I was one of those people. And then as the Lord started to work with me and started to heal me, I realized really I was just very critical and judgmental of everyone. <laughs> um, um, so I denied that for two more years. I still believe I was one of those people who could read people well. But what I found out is um, I was very skeptical and judgmental. Like that was deeply ingrained in me. And so in me, I was like, I need to know what it is to have love and honor. Because Paul talks about it 
all throughout the New Testament. And I have been a part of communities of faith um, since I became a believer since 19. I've been a part of communities of faith that has been great. This is this was my best experience. Good job, guys. Um, my first experience, the church split. Um, the second experience, I had to help close it down. And here, we just left in good graces. You guys are doing awesome. You're, you're jumping. You grew 40 people after I left, so great job. Um, like, everyone was waiting. Everyone was like, hey, we're good to go now. Um, but, but I've been a part of communities of faith, and I believe churches are places to be love and honor in which that are formed in us. Um, and if you're here this morning and you would say, my experience hasn't been that, um, that I've been to communities of faith and I've left wounded and hurt, I'd want to help welcome you here this morning. And I would like to say that the bravery to even choose to show up on a Sunday morning is... Oh God, it takes so much courage to do that. And that doesn't leave my sight. I'm aware of that. Um, I believe if you got to know this community, you could get to know a lot of people who would probably say me too, because um, I feel like I can also say that. And my dearest hope is that this morning can be a place of hope and healing for you, as I hope it is for all of us whenever we gather together. And for me, a culture of love and honor, it fights against hatred and dishonor. It does not allow offense to take root in our hearts, and it creates a place for the Holy Spirit to work and thrive. It's a place where the Holy Spirit is able to flow through us to other people and into the places we live, work, learn, and play. It is the foundation of what it means to be a community as a follower of Jesus because it allows great grace and faith to grow together. And personally, I chose to come here and pastor here with Lindsay four years ago because this was a place of grace. And I knew that if there was a foundation of grace, if we brought some faith to it, we, we could see miracles happen, people be released in the purpose, freedom come to our lives to where the circumstances of our lives don't determine the course of our life. That is what a culture of love and honor does. And what I want to do today, we're going to do some work. We're going to have to tear down some of the ways we think about being a community. I want us to unform our minds of postures and things, of ways of thinking to be able to reform, as Paul says in Romans 12, to be able to renew our minds to the mind of Christ. Um, because I think in our culture, there are some false ways of community um, that we have about the church, that we have about community as a whole. And first, I want to look at Paul and what he's saying to the church at Rome. He says, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, and take lead in honoring one another. Those words go great on a coffee mug. <laughs> um, I'm not so sure how fun it is living those out. To fully understand Paul's exhortation here to love and honor one another, we must understand who he is speaking to and his purpose in speaking those words. It's essential to understand that Paul did not set out as thinking, I'm going to write this great theological treatise in Romans. It's going to be considered the greatest theological letter in history, and people are going to look at it. And then in the last four chapters, I'm going to give some exhortations about how to live that out. What the Apostle Paul was writing to was a specific situation with a specific issue, and everything he says is to deal with this issue. And what he is writing to is a church of Jews and Gentile Christians in Rome with deep tension. 
I mean, long-held deep tension among them. First, these Jewish Christians who made up the church um, were kicked out for about five years because they were fighting with uh, other Jews. So the Jewish Christians are fighting with the Jews. The emperor did not like that, kicked them out. And while the emperor kicked them out, this Gentile church is there made up of Roman people, and they are thriving. They are doing well. They are going about the faith. And then five years later, this emperor dies and the Jews come back, these Jewish Christians, and they run into these Gentiles believers that are thriving in the faith. And they're thinking, no, 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 no. You're missing thousand years worth of history. You're not thinking of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're not following the customs that we do. And Paul talks about this. He calls them the weak and the strong and that the weak want to observe holy days and stuff like that. But, but, and then he talks about the strong of not needing to observe those things, which he's basically calling out the Jews saying, hey, you're weak. You want to stick to your old religious ways and you Gentiles, you're the strong ones. So bear with them, like do the holy days with them, be gentle with them, help them out. And so And not only that, but if you know a Jew, they hate Gentiles. Like the most scandalous thing for a Jew would be that their God would love a Gentile. It's the most scandalous thing. And that's why the Jew to, to, and that's why the gospel to a Jew is so scandalous that it included these Gentile people. And so you don't only have just the ways of religion, you have years of prejudice and tension. You have years of hate. And I don't know if you guys know anything about that. Um, We don't deal with that at all, right? Um, But there are these deeply rooted things in the poll. And what Paul's saying is, I'm going to deal with these things. And so I'm going to write under that purpose. And so out of this, Paul writes Romans, not as a theological treaty, but he is explaining the gospel in a way that deals with this issue so that they can find deep solidarity and connection and purpose as a member of the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles have failed God and both are in need of God's grace and mercy. In Romans 9 and 11, Paul tells us that both Jew and Gentile Gentile are part of the elect, not just the Jews. And then in Romans 12 and on, he is writing exhortations and implications because of that truth. Out of that, Paul tells them to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters Take the lead in honoring one another. And what I want to deal with today is what love does, but most importantly, what does honor mean? Because honor to them meant something very specific. To us, it's not a word we talk about a whole lot in our faith. And so what we need to do is understand what they meant by that. And and I want to say this, love may, may make sense to us. It's probably one of the most used words we use in the church. But this word honor is really, really important Because honor is, to me, what leads the way for love to be received. Honor is the way for a connection between us to be able to love to pass through one another. Um, And in Paul's culture, they had what are called honor challenges, which may sound super weird. It's like your normal day rap, a rap of, sorry, battle. I can't say that word right now. Um, but it was basically that equivalent. They would say, well, I was under teacher and I'm from this long line of Jews for this many centuries. Well, I'm from this line of Jews and they would do these honor challenges to build themselves up as if they had the most honor. And Paul's not foreign to this. Actually, Paul does this. 
right? In in Philippians 3, he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have very many reasons for this confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. (laughs) But then he does this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. He uses this honor challenge and then basically says, but it means nothing for the sake of Christ. Paul used it and turned it upside down. My favorite one is when Paul goes to the Corinthian church and they're like, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow Jesus. And then Paul responds with, I thank God I baptized none of you. Um, Which I don't know was out, whether he was just shaming them or he's sarcastic, I'm not sure. But it's, it's a funny one to me. But what does Paul tell us about honoring others and what does honor mean? For me, honor is the ability to see the glory of God in someone and to respond to that glory. It sees what is valuable and excellent in other people, appreciates it, calls it out, and responds to them the way they deserve. It sees the sacredness of the other and responds to that instead of the bad that we see. Because let's be honest, it doesn't take a prophet to see the bad in somebody else. It doesn't take a a, a wise or a discerning person to experience bad things from people. But it does take a person seen with God's eyes to experience the bad, to see past it and see their sacredness, to look past the bad experience we have of people and be able to see God's identity in them and the purposes that God has for them. That's what honor allows us to do. It allows us to see the bad, be honest about it, but also be able to see the good, the glory of God that is in each person. We ought to honor all people, even our worst enemies, and those we want to avoid. I know you guys are used to that language by now. Um, Now, honor does not mean you must agree with everyone or approve everything that somebody does, but it does determine how you handle the disagreement. It does determine how you respond to the person. It does not say honor them if they are godly or kind to us. It just simply says honor them. Honoring one another in the body of Christ and creating a culture of love and honor ensures that we all benefit from what God is doing with his church. It makes sure that we benefit from what God is doing in his church. Honoring one another ensures we maintain attitudes and behaviors that protect the flow of love between us and our enemies. Uh, What disrupts this flow of love and honor in our churches is called offense. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. I experience it almost daily. Um, And what offense does is it stops the flow of love to us and others, right? Because we're offended, so we're cut off from this person. And we're not able to receive from them, and we're not able to give to them. It makes us unable to love and honor others. It prevents the flow of the Spirit of God from moving in our hearts, and when we carry it into this space, the space in which we're together, it also stops the flow of God in this space because we are a collective body, 
right? We live, and we'll talk more about this, we live in an individual Western uh, society, and we think anything we do doesn't bother the whole. But that's a lie, because anything I do bothers the whole. And when we hold offense towards one another in this room, we stop the flow of the Spirit. An example of this I have is I go to this really charismatic, in the Spirit, weird movement uh, at least once or twice a year. And I do it because, number one, love it. Uh, Number two, I always get offended. (laughs) Always. The last time I went there, uh, the first night, there was this lady, and she was going around. She was going to everyone, giving them, like, prophecy and words of knowledge. And I'm like, that woman's out of control. And there's this other woman and her husband in the front row. And she's, like, 80, you know, at that age when you start to lose mobility and everything like that makes sense. And the lady stands up and says, yeah, I came because um, I want to get my mobility back. And I want you guys to pray and press in with me. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to do that. Well, this lady jumps up and says, I've had a vision. And she says, I see at the end of this conference, you're going to gain mobility back and you're going to be dancing with your husband. And I'm like, someone needs to get a hold of this lady right now. <laughs> like, I do not like you. I am offended by you. That's not going to happen. Well, two nights later, we're all in the back. The main guy at the conference, who's an ex-vineyard guy, and he does, and he just, he just doesn't take offense. He, he thinks the way other people do things are weird, but he does stuff with them. And that's really honoring to me. He may disagree with them on some things, but he honors the gift that God has given them. Well, anyways, he's in the back praying for people, so we're all kind of in the back watching. I'm trying to learn something new. And all of a sudden, you just hear claps going, be like right behind us. And I'm in this and I'm like, what's that? Well, he stands up and he looks back and he goes, well, that's awesome. And then he goes back to pray and I turn around and to my unbelief, that woman had gained full mobility and is dancing with her husband in the front. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I, am a hor- I say I believe this stuff. I am a horrible person. Um, And what God shows me there is, if she would have given me a word, I would have not been able to receive it because I was offended at the way she acted and at what she was doing. And that hurt me. It's like, God, I don't want these fences. Keep on rooting these things out of me. I want to be able to show up, not be offended, not be stuck in my head about the way I like things or don't like things and be able to receive from people. And here's the thing. Jesus is most likely gonna bless you through the person you least wanna be blessed by. He will always hide a blessing in them for you. And the word honor in Greek also means to glory or to glorify. In John 17, Jesus says, I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be as we are, that, that, that they may be one as we are one. And he's talking to his father. And so let's put honor in there. I have given them honor that you gave me. That's what Jesus says. I have given them honor, Father, that you give me. What kind of honor does the father give the son? Perfect honor. What kind of honor did Jesus give you? Perfect honor. He glorifies you. He gives you glory. God's not stingy with his glory, guys. In fact, he's not threatened by you taking his glory at all. You just can't do it. 
He wants to give it to you. Jesus has given us honor that the Father has given him so that we as a church may be one. Now, what's Jesus meaning? If this is true, that God has served his glory or honor with us, then that means we are free to honor and raise others above ourselves, mainly because my self-value and worth isn't in play anymore. I don't have to dishonor you so I can gain honor. I don't have to tear you down so that I can gain more glory and recognition. I can lift you up because my honor, my self-value and worth is secure in the Father. So we don't have to compete. We can honor one another. We can raise one another up. And that's what a culture of love and honor does. And so in the last few minutes here, um, I want to attack something specifically because I, I, I think in Western culture, we seem to be unaware of this. I know specifically I was. Um, um, it's hard for us as an individualist, individualistic culture um, to understand Paul's exhortation and live it out to the degree that Paul is asking us to, mainly because we define our self-worth according to ourselves. We make decisions solely based on how it affects us and benefits us. And Agent Near East culture was a collective culture that found their identity and self-worth from their community. It would, be foreign to them to, it would be foreign to them to think, I have identity outside of my community. And so they based their decisions on their community for the good of their community and not for themselves. Um, and for us today, we lack a deep solidarity in our Western culture due to our individualized faith. Um, with one another, with the church as a whole. And specifically, there are people speaking into this right now, and they're people that Western culture typically aren't going to listen to, but I think they're the prophets for us as a church in Western culture, but it's the black indigenous people of color. Like, they are writing tremendous things about this in our culture right now, and we need to listen to them. And so I want to quote here. We're going to have a quote. It's by Peruvian theologian and Catholic priest Gustavo Gutierrez, and this is what he writes. The, private, the privatization of spirituality is dangerous because it can distort what we think it means to be a follower of Christ. A privatized or individual spirituality can be sallow because it turns community into a formality and the postures of compassion and justice into acts of charity. In individualistic cultures, the self is the center, and even practices of community are determined by one's own needs. Community is optional and based on convenience. A privatized spirituality is unprepared to address the needs of the world. Um, what he is saying is that an individualistic culture, an individualistic culture, uh, we make community into an event we go to in which we expect it to meet our needs. Um, and if it doesn't, we find another event that will meet those specific needs. He says that in turn turns compassion and justice into acts of charity. And what does he mean by that? Um, um, that we turn love your neighbor and we turn justice into an outreach event in which you can go to, but it doesn't deeply cost you anything to show up to. It's not in your everyday workaday life inviting those people around your table. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says, now make yourselves by the mercies of God a living sacrifice. Like, hey, this thing is going to cost you. 
Um, there's a story after in the civil rights movement after Bloody Sunday in which Martin Luther King and these guys were gathering back up together and they were going to go to Salem. And they were telling everyone that they were inviting, make arrangements before you come because we don't think we're going to make it through this one. It was at the height. And the one guy they asked to come, which was the oddest to everyone um, in their movement, was a man named Abraham Joshua Heisel, who was a Jewish priest who lived in Brooklyn. And this guy written the book on the prophets, and the black church has read that. And they had identified with the Jewish people coming out of Israel, coming out of bondage. And Abraham Heisel has been a voice that has had sympathy for the black church because, um, and the civil rights movement because whenever he was in Germany getting his degree uh, and the Holocaust was going on, the church and the Roman church were indifferent to what was happening. And so Abraham Heisel decides he's going to go to Salem and march, and march with them. And he shows up, and at the airport, he is greeted by all the other, by, by the Jewish community in that area. And they look at him, and they say, don't march with them. We sympathize with it. We think it's a good thing. But if you do this, we're going to be attacked. If you do this, this is going to cost us. And Abraham Heisel is known for having hard words and saying that um, it was e easier for Israel to cross the Red Sea than it is for a black man to walk down the street. Like harsh words. He was known, he fought for justice. And he said that everyone in a free community is not guilty, but everyone in a free community is responsible. Everyone has a responsibility to sew up. Everyone has a responsibility for this to cost you. And he shows up and marches with them. And the words that he had on his tongue, that as I was walking, I feel like my legs were praying. It was an act of justice. He saw it, and he just didn't send stuff there to him. He went and identified in deep solidarity with what people are going through. And he showed up when it could have cost him his life. And so that's what... Um, and so that's what Gustavo is saying, is that it has to cost us a tad bit. We have to show up. We have to feel the pain. We have to grieve the pain. And that's what he says to us. And then Cindy Lee, a, a Taiwanese-American author, a spiritual director, and an adjunct professor at Fuller Theological Seminary says this, a private individualized spirituality is not sufficient. If we care about only our own rest and self-care, then the transforming power of spirituality is limited to only ourselves. I believe the spirituality we need in our times is one that embraces our shared bodies and collective spirit to acknowledge that we're inextricably tied to one another. We can embrace the reality that in our collective soul, we feel one another's pain. In a collective spirituality, we are formed to carry our burdens together. When tragedy comes, we are carry the heaviness of grief. When someone in our community is murdered, we all feel that pain in our own bodies. Thus, we can mourn deeply for the loss of those we may have never met. Some of us are more aware of our interconnectedness than others. Some of us are completely oblivious. In our reforming, we attend to our deeply wounded and debilitated communities in order to heal our collective soul. 
in my own community in Atlanta, um, some city officials in the, 90, in the 90s started to call Atlanta, Atlanta unofficially the city that is too busy to hate. And I don't know about you, in my experience of Atlanta, it's very busy. No one's too busy to hate me. Um, um, no one is too busy to flip me off or cuss at me or yell at me as I'm walking down the road, okay? Um, but we are too busy to love one another. Um, and that hurts. I found that it's hard for me to love and honor people if I don't take the time to grieve and mourn what they grieve and celebrate what they celebrate. I think that is true for all of us. Being a culture of love and honor, one of deep solidarity with one another, thanks God for the ability and freedom of individual choice because, guys, we have it, and it lays it down for the sake of others, calling out our sacredness in one another. And this is what Cindy Lee goes on to say. When my community reflects me, my sacredness, they unclutter the other voices that may deny my sacredness. So you may be like, well, then should we try to mimic or mimic a Jewish culture, a collectivist culture? Uh, no, I don't think we should do that. Uh, and I would say um, that uh, Paul specifically in the Bible was talking to a culture that was shaped like it was. What Paul wrote in Romans, he probably wouldn't write to us, right? He was writing for a specific time and a specific culture. And I think in our modern self-focused individualistic culture, what Cindy, Gustavo, and what I think Paul would say is that uh, we are not an island unto ourselves and can only realize our purpose and value in the context of community and deep solidarity with one another. If we lack a sense of purpose or calling in our life and like, guys, I'm a, I, well, I was a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I met with people all the time, and people were always trying to find purpose in a calling. And all the time, I'd be like, well, you have purpose, you have calling, but I didn't know exactly what to say to them. But in, learning, but in learning from my black indigenous people of color, it's that my calling, my purpose in life is always found in community. Because that early church, they had a purpose, and they came together for it. They staked their lives on it. It was to take the gospel to others, together. And we find that form purpose and then specific gifts, gifts pop out. Teaching, prophecy, kindness, hospitality. All these things are found in deep solidarity with one another. And so we have to learn rhythms of that. And we see this in the life of Jesus. He took on human flesh and became like us in all ways. He found what it was like to be tired, feel pain, and go through death. Most of his life was spent living in an ordinary life, like boring everyday life until the last few years. He mourned and celebrated with people. He identified with our sin and bore it by taking it to the cross so that we could be free and live for the sake of others as he showed us how to live. Jesus had deep solidarity with us, which provided a pathway for love and honor. Um, and so what do we do about this? Uh, Lindsay? <laughs> um, I think we need formational practices that create a posture towards one another. Our Western culture typically, and there's nothing wrong with this. Guys, I want to say there's nothing wrong with acts of, char of charity and helping out. There's nothing wrong with sewing up to something. 
but we have to go deeper. We can't be blinded by that and think that's what it is. That calls us into the deeper. And so I think we need a posture and a spirituality that makes us other-centered and other-focused. And so I have two practices for you. One is the one that you can do this week. Um, you need practices of solidarity with one another. And so what I would tell you is instead of grieving stuff in your own life, grieve other people's stuff. Sit down with them. Hear, hear their stories. And then grieve with them. Uh, probably the biggest time I've ever, well, it's not the biggest time I've ever grieved, but it deeply hurt me, was in our own community here. Um, for about uh, six months, I was meeting with um, a woman of color in our community. I would meet her every other week for about six months. And uh, I would go in, and we would have this long talk. Uh, she would tell me about how Wesley Snipes tried to hit on her in the club and how short he is in real life. And she was like, no, -uh, I don't want Wesley Snipes. I was like, well, okay. Not a lot of other people would say that. But, um, and, and, and we just gained this deep community. And then our church did something. We, we, we raised money and we helped out. And I remember a month later, I showed up to talk to her. And she looked at me. She just, like, almost trauma hit her. She shrunk down. And she goes, hey, I have to ask you this. I was like, hey, uh, what? And, she, and, she, and, and what she said was, is this okay with how we spend the money you gave us? And I was hurt because in our own community, guys, we have deep prejudices and experiences that have lasted centuries here. And what she saw was a white male and her experience of white males had been wanting control, telling her what to do with the resources that are given to her. And in that moment, I was like, you can do whatever you want with that money. And then I left and cried. Um... And I want to say, your grief practices, they're, they're all over the place. You just got to sew up and be unbusy and take time and do it. Um, we need to be so, I don't know how to term it, but, but we need to stop and take time and grieve other people's pain. Uh, because it's hard to love one another if you don't. I walked into a bar in Atlanta. Christy flew out one night. I was like, great, I'm going to stop at this bar. I saw their food. Looks great. I'm going to try to have a spiritual conversation with people. I showed up, and it was obvious I was the only one like me there. It was also obvious that they were highly suspicious of just me walking into their place. And I've never felt that before. And I thought of people like them when they walk into my spaces, how they must feel. And I grieved. And I never have had that feeling before. Um, and that still sticks with me. That is still a grief practice for me. And that is the one way that I can learn to love and honor them because I can't love and honor them if I don't find solidarity with them. And that's what God calls us as a community to do. So grief practice, pick anyone. Sit down with anyone and sit with them and grieve their pain. The second one, which we're going to do this morning, is um, it's hard to love and honor people when you don't think you're worthy of love and honor. Because um, you are. Jesus gave us honor. gave us love as the Father gives him. And so we're just going to take a moment. And in this practice, I just want you to be silent. Hold out your hands and receive. I'm going to pray over you. We're going to take a minute. Lindsay's going to come up and do communion, and we're going to end the day. Um, but what I want you to do 
is open up and listen to your emotions because you may start to receive and be like, well, this is crap. I can't wait till this is over. That's perfectly fine. I do that sometimes all by myself. Um, you may do it and realize emotions, which are either good, you may feel love and honor, or you may feel like this is really hard for me. And if you think this is really hard for me to receive love and honor, we have people back there that would love to pray for you. Guys, I have prayed for people in the back and I have seen them tangibly, visibly receive love from God. And so we would love to pray for you back there. And the next thing, you may do this and be like, oh, I felt nothing. And that's like, welcome to 90% of the experience. Um, and so basically, I want us to take a posture. If you don't mind, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to ask you to hold out your hands, and we're just going to let the Lord come and receive the love and honor he has for us. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. And Father, we ask that your Spirit will come and give us a baptism of your love, that we would feel deep love and honor and solidarity with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. That, Father, to the emotions that are good, that you help us rejoice. Father, to the emotions that are hard. Father, we pray that you would show us those, reveal those places to where we won't receive love and honor and help us to be able to receive it. So, Holy Spirit, come.